Hey everyone, this is Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology. Happy Monday, everybody. Today we're going to take a look at one of the major astrological transits of the week and the month, which is the conjunction between the Sun, the exalted Sun in the sign of Aries, and Jupiter. Um, this is a big moment because this effectively begins a new synodic cycle between Jupiter and the Sun. So today we're going to um, talk a little bit about Jupiter's synodic cycle, how it works, how you can identify the different aspects of the cycle, talk about the particular phase of the cycle that we're in with the, the reset conjunction between the two of them. We're going to reflect a little bit on the previous cycle, that uh, the last synodic conjunction and everything that's happened since then, which was last March of 2022. Um, I'm going to tell you briefly how you can look at this in your birth chart and give you a few keywords for the whole sign houses in your chart. We're going to preview the upcoming solar eclipse, which is also in Aries, um, not super in-depth at this point, just kind of... Um, yeah, just kind of priming the pump a little bit. And then we all uh, we will also look at some of the major archetypal themes to watch for. So that is our agenda for today. As always, before we get into it, don't forget to like and subscribe. Share your comments in the comments section. It really helps the channel to grow, as you guys know. You can find a transcript of today's talk on the website, which is nightlightastrology.com. If you have a story to share, use the hashtag grabbed or send us your story grabbed at nightlightastrology.com. We'd love to hear what you guys are experiencing from this transit. And don't forget, we are also now in enrollment season for my upcoming courses. So in June of this year, we have three new courses that are beginning. We have the year one program. You can go to my website, nightlightastrology.com, click on the courses page. Under the pull down menu under courses, you can go to first year course. This is the big one. Second year and horary also start in June. For students who are already enrolled, you can hop into those advanced programs and continue your astrological journey. Uh, talk more about those programs down the road. The year one program is where most people are going to start. This is the a one-year course in ancient Hellenistic astrology with a sort of modern archetypal uh, depth psychology twist. And throughout this one year of study together, we have 30 courses on the year. We have breakout study sessions led by our tutors throughout the course to help you review the sessions. You can watch them. You can attend live through our webinars, or you can follow along. All the recordings are for you on the class are there for you on the class website. You can keep them forever. Uh, we have interactive group forum discussions where we have uh, that are staffed by tutors who always answer questions within 24 hours. Uh, we have all sorts of additional bonus material and support and homework and things to help you sharpen your skills as you go along. If you go to the bottom of the page, you can see there's an early bird payment that helps you save. That's the best saving on the program. And then we have a 12-month payment plan if you need help. And then also for some people, it is going to make a lot of sense to take advan uh, advantage of our uh, early bird rate. So uh, let's see if I can just highlight it here. There it is. Whoops, there we go. Well, now it's doing, it's doing the thing with my pen. Let's see if I can uh, see if I can re redo this and get it up and show it to you. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> so now will, will the pen work? That is the big, there it is. So there's the tuition assistance. This is for people who really want to study astrology, but you have a really fixed or tight budget. You have a limited income. You're hurting financially. You're a single parent. You're only part-time employed. You're a student. You're on retirement on a fixed budget. You're on disability income, whatever the case may be. Or even if you just, you don't have you have a really tight budget and you don't have very much to allocate to your spiritual development because of it. We want to make sure that people aren't priced out of our programs when the Kickstarter does as well as it does. That's why we can make these available to people and really open up the program for people of all different income ranges. So 
that's uh, one of the beautiful uh, things about the way that we've uh, structured things over time and all the support that you guys give really helps us with that. So uh, if you need any help with the program, check out the need-based tuition option and let's see if we can make it happen for you. Uh, any questions about anything, email us info at nightlightastrology.com. Okay, so that is where we are heading today. Let's pull up the real-time clock and take a look at this. Oops, here we go. I'm having all sorts of, it's Monday. <laughs> that's, that's it, okay. Oh my gosh, here we go. Sorry guys, it's taking me just a second. All right, there. Okay, so now let's take a look at the synodic conjunction. Here is the cycles reset as the sun and Jupiter come together. This is Tuesday, April 11th, and really it, it finishes by Wednesday, April 12th. So we back it up to today, you'll see that the sun is coming to within a degree of Jupiter tomorrow and then Wednesday. So it's like a Monday through Wednesday of this week. It's the 10th, 11th, and 12th of April that this whole um, sequence is happening. Technically, it's April 11th that the two come together uh, exactly, um, but it is definitely the transit of the week. So that is where we are going to be focusing our attention. Now, what I want to start with is how Jupiter's synodic cycles work. So in order to do that, first, and for some of you, you may be familiar with this already, so this may be a little review for some people. Hopefully for most people, it's brand new. So here is how the cycle works. Um, we're going to see that the two planets can join one another, and then the sun moves out ahead of Jupiter. And gradually, you're going to notice that the sun goes ahead of Jupiter in zodiacal order because the sun moves much faster than Jupiter through the zodiac from our perspective. Now, as the two planets get farther and farther apart, we're going to reach the first major turning point of the cycle. And that turning point is going to happen just as the sun gets into an Earth sign and starts being configured to Jupiter by a trine. So you'll notice that in August of 2023, this summer, as Jupiter is coming into the trine, uh, as the sun is coming into the trine with Jupiter, what I want you to notice, whoops, here, let's go to my handy arrow. Notice that as they're coming together in the trine, see the little S, that means Jupiter is stationing. And so as the two planets come together in a trine, this is actually the same thing that happens between the sun and Mars, uh, as well as the sun and Saturn, very similar for the superior uh, planets. Superior meaning that they're slower than the sun. They're, they're above the sun in zodiacal, in terms of the speeds of the planets. So um, as the two come into a trine, Jupiter stations. And then from this point, we have the continuation of the cycle with Jupiter retrograde. Let's go ahead and delete this. So the two are then retrograde. Now, the next major part, and that's kind of like a first quarter moon. You can think about that as the first, sort of like the first quarter moon of a moon cycle. It's the first critical turning point between the two planets. And it often speaks to an important, uh, and remember, this is really, it's best, it's best to think about it in terms of Jupiter's location in your birth chart. So let's say, for example, in this upcoming cycle with Jupiter moving into the sign of Taurus, that this turning point will be focused on uh, the whole sign house of Taurus. And so it's like a uh, a chance for the cycle as it's built something to start reviewing or going back over something or revisiting or rethinking or revising or 
things that were started will be delayed or set back temporarily. All, all the na natural things that a retrograde signifies as a developmental sort of turning point within the larger synodic cycle start to occur around that turn to retrograde, just kind of compared to like a first quarter moon. And then you're going to get the next major part of the cycle, which is sort of like the full moon. And this is when the two planets come into an opposition while Jupiter is retrograde. So you get a Sun-Jupiter opposition. And this is like a hard turning point, just like a, another just another one, just like a, uh, the, the four major uh, components are parts of the moon cycle. This is a, a point of manifestation, a, 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 a critical tension and turning point um, that Jupiter will go through in its synodic cycle when it hits the opposition to the sun, kind of like a midlife crisis in Jupiter's uh, full synodic cycle. And this is often where the, the changes and revisions that are being made uh, suggest that something is maturing, something is reaching its potential during the retrogradation, which is what retrogrades should ultimately do. They should help us grow and evolve and change and develop positively. So then we go, we keep going and we see the sun now coming to the second trine. And once it comes into that second trine area, notice the two planets are getting close again. See, now they're exactly trine. Let me give a little arrow again. So there's the trine. And right after that trine passes, notice that Jupiter has the little S above it. It's stationing and now it's turning direct. And so as that station to direct occurs, now that's like, it's sort of like a last quarter moon. The last quarter moon is like a, an integration point in a harvesting of everything that's learned in the cycle, like very much like a last quarter moon. It's also the beginning of the end of the cycle where you're starting to turn inward and release old things and preparing after releasing them to move forward. So then the next part of the cycle will be the synodic conjunction, just like a new moon all over again. So you'll see the two planets coming together as the sun is slowly catching up to Jupiter. And so we will see this synodic reset again. We've gone, we're going through the whole cycle now. We'll see the same reset happening next year in May. So isn't this cool? Here they are together, May 18th. So we get it about, um, you know, a year plus away from now. We'll get the sun and Jupiter coming together again. Then right after they come together, it's interesting because then Jupiter will change signs into Gemini. And then the whole same exact cycle will repeat itself. So... The, mo the most important thing to understand for the sake of uh, looking at the synodic uh, cycle that we're under right now is to understand that it's like a new moon. It is a reset of the cycle between Jupiter and the sun. You can think of the sun, the synodic cycles that planets have with the sun as receiving something of the light of spirit, the intentions, ambitions, desires of the soul that drive our actions like the plot line of a movie that's moving along. And every planet is constantly receiving that sort of insight or information from the sun. Its int intentions and ambitions through all the synodic cycles that the planets have with the sun are sort of informing those planets of the overarching mission of the soul. That's a fun way of thinking about it, at least. It's not the only way of thinking about it, but that's a fun one that I really like to use in my practice with, you know, with clients, helping them understand these synodic cycles. So now let's look back at what's happening right now. Oh, here we go. So here's the synodic cycle again. Now, what I want to do for fun is um, I want to just 
this is so this is the the reset that we're experiencing this week. Let's go back on the previous. Let's go back to the previous cycle. So if we go back um, about to uh, March fourth and fifth of last year, two thousand twenty-two, we can see that there is a the synodic conjunction with the with Jupiter in Pisces. So what I highly recommend that you do. If you want to, you can follow all of the major phases of the cycle, and I'm going to give them to you. But you could also just look overall at where you've been since last March with regard to the whole sign house of Pisces in your birth chart. So you want to look at like where does Pisces land? For example, I'm a Taurus rising. It lands in my 11th house. So friends, uh, groups of people, communities of people. And what you'll notice in my cycle, for example, is that Jupiter, Sun, and Pisces in the 11th house, when this happened last spring, it began a very deep reset for me around religious and spiritual community. And so the seeds that would be planted that would eventually reorient the kinds of people that I hang out with religiously and spiritually began right at that time. And then oh, under the under the next subsequent parts of the cycle, uh, the shift in my religious affiliation started taking place, as you guys know, because I've shared that with you on my channel. So you can look at this for yourself and take a look. So it starts in March, and now let's look at the different pieces of the cycle. So think about you know early March 2022, and think of the topics surrounded uh, surrounding the whole sign house of Pisces in your birth chart. If you don't know that, you can. Um, Use, use your whole sign uh, house, get cast the whole sign house version of your chart and look at where Pisces lands. And you'll see Pisces as uh, indicated over the cusp of the house with that, that little sign right there. So, um, and I'm going to be reviewing some of the house topics for this upcoming one in just a minute. So uh, if you need a refresher on some of the keywords and themes associated with the houses, you could always just listen to that and then reverse apply that to Pisces too. But because um, I'm not going to go through all of them for both Pisces and Aries and Taurus and everything. So um, anyway, the next major part of the cycle started to take place right about here. So this is uh, as the whole sign trine was taking place. And this is right around the end of July and beginning of August. Okay, so end of July, beginning of August, that is when the next major phase of Jupiter's cycle starts unfolding, but it's also unfolding, interestingly enough, as Jupiter has now changed signs into Aries. So it's interesting to follow a cycle when Jupiter's signs are changing throughout the midst of the cycle, um, because that means that you can track the cycle and development, the developmental story of Jupiter through two different topical areas of your chart, which is kind of fun. Uh, so anyway, at any rate, um, this would have been another part of the cycle to look at what was happening around late July, early August of 2022, and maybe now looking at the whole sign house of Aries and how that developmental story that started in Pisces was shifting into the sign of Aries in your chart. Then you can take it forward again. And a lot of this, I know like some of these like do-it-yourself exercises are going to be a little harder to follow for people who don't know much as much about astrology, but don't worry because a lot of the content just a little bit later in this episode will be super accessible for you if you're having any hard time following this. The next piece of the cycle was the opposition, and this is late September. Now, for example, for me, that full moon moment uh, coincided with um, uh, the time at which I, I realized it was time to uh, say goodbye to the tradition. And then it was only a matter of time after that before I ended up making the announcement. 
So that's the second major part. You think of early sep uh, excuse me, um, think of late September of 2022. That was the full moon, so to speak. Now we're coming around and let's keep going. And you can, it's really fun to like take a journal out and like actually do this as a kind of exercise. So the next, the last quarter moon part, the last quarter, here it is. Oops, I've got this wrong. I went backward. Okay, so here we go. So that last quarter moon happens just after the trine again. And this is uh, late November. So late November, there's another change. This is sort of the last quarter moon of the cycle. And then we're going to take it forward once more. And, uh, and then that's when we get up to today. So the reset is happening now. So hopefully that's helpful for everybody. I hope that um, just going through that cycle and just looking at those dates, if you take out a journal and spend some time looking at what was happening, and then again, focus on the whole sign houses of Pisces and Aries as the developmental story for the past year. And just look at how, especially with Jupiter, how are my ideals, my beliefs, my guiding values, the institutions that I belong to, um, you know, the virtues that I have or my religious or spiritual beliefs or things that I'm learning or studying, um, where am I building confidence? Those kinds of things are all very Jupiterian and uh, trackable throughout those two signs over the past year around those dates. So a fun exercise. I hope that some of you will find that useful. I tracked it out. And I mean, I'm not going to elaborate on every single part of that, but as I just showed you very briefly, every stage of that for me were very critical periods in reorienting um, religious and spiritual beliefs. And also in the 12th house, a big thing for me was, um, you know, working with working with sort of repressed elements of what I would call the masculine and more physical side of my own nature, very Aries in the 12th house stuff. Uh, so anyway, uh, and it looks a little bit different for, for everyone. Um, so you can um, you can review those cycles, and I would really love to hear your notes if anyone feels like sharing a little uh, a bit of what you find in the comment section. Now, what I want to do now is, as the synodic cycle is taking place in the sign of Aries, but also over the next year we'll be shifting into the sign of Taurus. Let's just review the nature of the houses so that you can understand. You know, we're going to have a developmental cycle now going between. Aries and Taurus for the next year. And here are the critical parts of the cycle that uh, you should take into consideration. So we have the synodics conjunction this week. So the seed is being planted now. But let's look. Then it moves into Taurus in May. And um, actually, let's go back and give you the exact, give you the exact time. So it's, a, it's around May. I want to say it's, what is it? The it's a 16th into the 17th of May that Jupiter switches signs. So then after that, let's look at the first major part of the cycle. And that's going to happen uh, right around, get the exact date. Yeah, it's like September 4th or 5th comes the um, comes Jupiter's retrogrades. That's sort of like the first quarter in early September. And then we're going to have the opposition, uh, big, powerful moment of opposition uh, right around early November when the two planets oppose, when Jupiter and the sun oppose one another. And then you're going to see the sort of last quarter moment. <clears throat> Here they're coming into the trine again. And so right around the trine, it changes directions. There's Jupiter stationing and turning directions around December 30th of 2023. 
And then the reset, the, the uh, new moon of the cycle comes again when the two planets get together in mid-May of next year. And the two, again, Aries to Taurus. So think about that transition. All right, now house themes briefly reviewed. So let's just, and I'm not gonna do this like, like horoscope style. I'm just gonna help you understand um, you know, the, 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 um, the topics of the houses in general. So if you find that Jupiter is in this house um, and then moving into another house, you have a sense of which uh, topics you're looking at. Uh, in the past year, Jupiter was in Pisces and moved into Aries. You could apply the house topics in this way to that cycle and look at those dates, or you could also apply the house topics to the upcoming transition between the whole sign house of Aries and Taurus. Anyway, if it's in the first house, you're thinking about identity, uh, physical health and appearance, uh, personality, psychology, and character. Very, very personal house. If you're looking at the second house, you're thinking about assets, resources, both those that you have and those that you're developing. Things that you can earn money from, the money that you have, the assets and physical things that you own, and also on a certain level, the things that you value or are trying to cultivate cultivation of gifts, skills, talents, abilities, usually with an eye for how I can further or best support myself materially. Um, and also like things like diet and the development of um, your, your, your body that was associated with food and eating, for example, and things that you are cultivating within your body. For example, I thought it was really interesting that, um, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger has a pretty packed second house and um, he's one of the things that he's very famous for is bodybuilding and the development of bodybuilding equipment. At one point, he sold as um, a business endeavor. I think he has Saturn in the Sun in Leo in the second house. But things that you're developing, building, cultivating, things you can earn a living from, all of those are second house topics. You get into the third house. It's a funny, funny house. It was called the Joy of the Moon and is really associated with your environment, mentally, emotionally physically. It's the everyday world that you swim in like fish uh, swimming in water. You don't, it's, it's very subtle and not always recognizable until there are major changes in the environment. So when you have Jupiter uh, moving through this house, you'll often notice that there are bigger, more pronounced or dramatic changes of a Jupiterian nature that are taking place in the environment. The environment becomes more academic. It becomes bigger, stronger, louder, faster, uh, especially with Jupiter and Aries, for example. But also it becomes, um, you know, sometimes it becomes more religious or more concerned with, um, you know, beliefs and how they are affecting you and the environment somehow resembles whatever planet is traveling through it. So you just think of Jupiter making its presence felt in the immediate environment, which could also be like your neighborhood. Sometimes there's connections to siblings. The third house also has a history of being associated with the mind, communication, perception, learning, short journeys. We go to the fourth house and you're thinking about home, family, property, parents, family karma, ancestral karma, land, and foundations, as well as things that are of an occult, secret, esoteric, hidden nature. The fourth house was originally the house associated with the occult studies, uh, with studies in the occult. I think that's how you say it. All right. So anyway, uh, fifth house would be associated, I mean, one of the things that's associated with is pregnancy and children, but also anything that's creative and that gives joy that's associated with pleasure and romance um, and creative fulfillment. 
I should think about those things in the fifth. In the sixth, you're talking about sacrifice, hard work, labor, frustration, sickness, uh, and conflict, as well as disease and um, things that you have to sacrifice or work very hard for, or things that you serve, but usually with a sacrificial nature behind it. And that was called the house of Mars, the planet associated with sacrifice and martyrdom, as well as hard work, labor, um, misfortune, sickness, and things that you have to persevere through to overcome. Uh, but can be a great house, especially for people who are, you know, hard, like, you know, it's, it's like a great work takes place in the sixth house especially when Jupiter's there, it can be very joyful. Anyway, seventh house is going to be love and relationships, sexuality, um, marriage, uh, intimacy with other people, but also more broadly speaking, social intercourse. And that was a, a, a phrase that was used to um, talk about the seventh house in some ancient texts. It just basically means the place where you go out and connect with other people for the sake of uh, interpersonal communion. It was called Kama by Indian astrologers, which also means um, pleasure. So the eighth house associated with, I like to call it the house of soul contracts. There's a lot in the eighth house that binds us to other people, both positively and negatively. And also the things that we're bound to with a sense of penalty, obligation, taxation, debts, um, but also gifts and inheritances and blessings and benefits that come through other people. Uh, it's also a house associated with death and fear and anxiety. Um, and uh, the ninth house, um, keeping continuing around the wheel, is going to be associated with things like religion, foreign travel, spirituality, higher education, the law, um, and generally speaking, our beliefs and how they orient our lives. The tenth house is called uh, different things. It's called Arta in Indian astrology associated with that philosophical concept of the pursuit of power, mastery, rank, prestige, position, honor, fame, reputation. Uh, so it's associated with vocation and work, but it's also more broadly speaking, the actions that we take that engage us with the world that we live in, the greater public that we live in, and our reputation or what we're known for, what we do in it. Fame or infamy can belong to the 10th house. Uh, kings, rulers, uh, people who have authority, leadership, things like that also associated with the 10th house. The 11th with groups, friends, allies, benefactors, wishes, hopes, and aspirations for the future, common allies that we have or share, uh, networks of people that we belong to, um, and also the, the, the blessings that come just sort of naturally, the 11th house, sometimes called pennies from heaven, which has this connotation almost of like it was called the joy of Jupiter, the 11th house was, and associated with uh, groups, but also, um, you know, things that come into your life as, as forms of blessing or abundance from uh, people who, who have things. Um, now, the 12th house associated with what we can't see, what's repressed or hidden that we need to bring out from ourselves because it doesn't ha quite have a place, like uh, things that are repressed or have been suppressed, things that are, the, you know, the black sheep characters and the cast of, of characters in our psyche. It's also the place where there are demons or shadows that can undermine us or get the best of us somehow. Uh, but also, again, things that are in our blind spot, the things that we don't naturally know how to include that seek expression. And uh, also the 12th house, a place of contemplation, isolation, imprisonment, uh, self-undoing, uh, but also a place where we lose our egos. And uh, that could be a very beneficial and beautiful thing sometimes. All who wander are not lost is a saying I like to attribute to the 12th house. So the reason I go through these themes just briefly is so that you can take those themes and really say, okay, what's the developmental story of Jupiter? 
for example, um, if you are going from 10th, you know, in Aries to 11th in Taurus, then the story is moving from career into groups over the course of the year. Last year, it moved from beliefs into career, from Pisces to Aries. So if you just apply this and say, look at last year's cycle, look at those important dates, and look at how Jupiter was evolving from the ninth to the 10th house topics, then you can do the same thing for this year's synodic cycle and say, look at how Jupiter is going to evolve from Aries to Taurus. And you can apply those house topics that we just went through. So I hope that you find that useful as just a little like, you know, guided exercise that you can take home and work with. Now, one of the things that I think makes this time um, super important is that we have another thing coming up here that is pretty exciting. I'm going to just put this in and show you a couple of things coming up. I had some major complaints in the uh, in the astrology of April that we didn't include the square to Jupiter in the eclipse. And I'm going to talk about or the square to Pluto in the upcoming eclipse forecast. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that too. But here's what's coming. We have, I have to go back by some hours to get this just right. Yeah, so here we go. This is a solar eclipse coming up next week, Wednesday, April 19th. Now that solar eclipse is happening with the node just out of sign in Taurus, but very close and pretty close to that Jupiter where the synodic uh, reset just happened. Now, just after the eclipse takes place on the same day after the sun uh, moves into Taurus, it will also make a square to Pluto. So one of the reasons that I didn't cover this in the eclipse uh, cycle is that in my practice, I don't tend to look at out of sign aspects um, because in ancient whole sign aspect doctrine, the whole sign connection is really, really important. So, but when it's just across the sign boundary, um, there's definitely some flexibility. So you, you know, it, it, it was just sort of like, um, you know, it's definitely like we definitely could have spent more time talking about the fact that just after the eclipse happens, the sun will square Pluto. So it is sort of a Plutonian eclipse if you're taking the out of sign application across the sign boundary to Pluto into account. Um, it's just, you know, that's sort of a judgment call. Each astrologer will play that a little bit differently. But for the sake of people asking about it, I thought, well, let's look at both. So we have the upcoming solar eclipse. In the, at the anoretic last degree of Aries on April 20th, followed on the same day by the sun crossing into Taurus and squaring Pluto. So um, that sequence of events also speaks to the fact that not only do we have this very powerful reset happening with Jupiter in the whole sign house of Aries in your birth chart, but we also have an eclipse, a solar eclipse happening in the same sign, immediately fueling a square to Pluto. And that's where I think we get such, this is, this is not your average Sun-Jupiter reset moment, which is powerful on its own. But because within a week we get this sequence of eclipse followed by Sun-Pluto square, the, the reset happening right now, uh, especially starting in the whole sign house of Aries and then also transitioning into the whole sign house of Taurus in your birth chart is going to be extremely potent which is why I wanted to spend some time today giving you some tools for starting to interpret this in your natal chart. So 
again, what does this eclipse show? A lot of focus on the whole sign house of Aries, followed immediately by this very intense focus on the whole sign house of Taurus. You could also loop in the whole sign house of Aquarius because of the square to Pluto if you wanted to. Excuse me. Now, um, so, you know, the upcoming eclipse at the very least adds a lot of dynamic power and tension to the topics of the house of Aries in your chart, followed immediately by more emphasis on Taurus, which Jupiter will then bring in May as well. So last but not least, I just want to talk about some major archetypal themes to watch for given the Jupiter-Sun conjunction itself this week. Excuse me, I've got some allergies right now. <clears throat> Starting to come into spring here. And uh, it's funny because I haven't lived in Minnesota for a long time. And so I'm, as I'm back in Minnesota, I'm like, oh, here are the allergies I always used to get as a kid too. And luckily I have a wonderful herbalist wife who has all sorts of concoctions that she gives me. So anyway, here are some of the major archetypal themes to watch for given the sun and Jupiter's conjunction. First of all, the sun is exalted in Aries. It's very heroic here. It loves to start things. It is an inceptional sign, which means... It likes to um, it it's it likes to start the fire and it likes to get things going and Jupiter adds a huge amount of power and pop to that signature when the two come together one of the major themes to watch for is what is getting started right now especially with a kind of heroic fiery assertive more dramatic quality. What am I doing? What's growing? What's building? What's becoming really strong and big and what's really taking off? So that is one thing that I would watch for like immediately. Just what's getting big, what's getting strong, what's getting off the ground, what's taking off. Watch for themes of muscularity and strength, power, um, moxie, confidence, sometimes overconfidence. This can be like one of the, a little bit more like cocky and exaggerated. It can be a little domineering. It can be about power and winning at all costs. It can be about a moment of... Um, it can be about a moment of trying to reestablish health or vitality, like the motivation to, you know, hit the treadmill or uh, go join Orange Theory or, you know, or whatever the whatever the latest thing is. So the, the motivation to reset your life, to get things started with an emphasis on power, strength, fire, um, it's a youthful sign. So to be reinvigorated, to be energized, to want to start something that has the feeling of, um, let's get it onto a new page. Let's get this thing. It's like spring cleaning psychically. Uh, so a lot of motivation uh, could be a little bit of over-promising and under-delivering with this transit. You have to be careful of that, um, specifically because Jupiter can exaggerate the already sort of exaggerated heroic qualities of an exalted sun. So that's just one thing to be aware of. But otherwise, one of the other uh, combinations here is about, you know, victory and saying where there's a will, there's a way I can get something done to be um, confident and full of life. Uh, those are all great qualities. The karma around fathers, leaders could be pronounced right now. The Sun-Jupiter conjunction, will, uh, the synodic reset often happens when leaders are ready to die or pass away. Fathers, grandfathers mentors, teachers are ready to be reset somehow, or you're ready to take off on a new learning adventure. You find a new mentor or teacher. 
uh, that you're really excited to study with, you find a coach that you're ready to take some lessons from. Uh, those kinds of um, motivational themes are very much in the air right now as well. So we're going to do more on the archetypal combinations tomorrow. I just wanted to wet your whistle and uh, get things started with a little do-it-yourself homework activity if you wanted to uh, take it up. Hopefully you've understood a little bit more about the synodic cycles. Um, it's sort of a quick crash course, and hopefully enough of you will find the, um, the activities that I outlined today useful. You can go home and do them yourself after you listen to this. Uh, it's a great journaling activity, especially good when a reset is happening, because going through this activity and looking what happened in the past year, where the topics of the houses are pointing for the upcoming cycle, it can just put you in the mindset to start understanding what your new intentions are for this uh, the cycle ahead. So anyway, that's what I have for today. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you haven't already. Transcripts of any of my talks, today's talk can be found on the website, nightlightastrology.com. Go check out all of the upcoming courses that uh, we have starting in June. I would love to see some of you in the new program. Make sure you use that need-based tuition if it could help you at all. All right, that's it. I hope you guys have a great day and we'll be back for more on Jupiter in the Sun tomorrow. Take it easy, everyone.